Hey, if you brought a Bible, Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to be. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, that's okay. Look towards the back. You'll find some guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke is how it will go. If you're in the jar, John X, Romans, take a hard left. You'll find there. Uh, While you're getting there, ladies, I need your help with something. I need you to complete a sentence for me. Okay, so I'm going to give you a scenario and you should be able to do it. No problem. I want you to pretend that there's a guy in your life who wants to date you. If you're sitting by him, uh, don't look at him right now because you don't want to date him, but he wants to date you. Uh, So that's the scenario that he's really like into you. You're really not interested. Now, let's say that this guy asks you out so many times that you finally have to say, look, dude, I like you, but only as a friend. Yes, I'm sure that many of you have given the dreaded friend line, while others of you have received said uh, dreaded line. But uh, let's say that he continues to pursue you and, and keep asking you out uh, over and over. So one night he finally says, I love you so much that I'm going to force you to love me. Now, ignoring the fact that you're getting a restraining order at this point, like I totally get that, buying a taser, maybe changing your cell phone number. Uh, can he do that? Can he force you to love him? No. Yeah, no, love cannot be coerced. Love, by definition, must be freely given. Uh, So ladies, if the man really loves you, I think we would all agree that he would just leave you alone. Absolutely. Uh, That's what I want to actually talk to you about today. This is what God does with us. He makes His presence known through a variety of ways, through nature, through the world, through His Word, through other believers. He pursues you. He chases after you because of His love for you. But if we continue to turn Him down, He eventually leaves us alone, uh, allows us to live our lives apart from Him. We're made in His image, the Bible tells us, which means we're made for love. We're made to be in a relationship, yet God's not going to coerce love from any of us. He allows us to uh, try and find this love apart from Him, and many of us have chosen to do that. Uh, We've tried to find love in all the wrong places, as the song goes. That being said, with the time that we have this morning, I want to talk about where that decision leads where uh, it gets to the point in your life where God says, you know what, chase after it. Go, go after the things that you want. If you're a guest with us, again, I want to say welcome to you. Thanks for being here. We're in part two of this sermon series called FAQ. And what we're trying to do is answer some frequently asked questions within uh, the religion of Christianity, some, uh, some complicated questions. Uh, last week, we tried to answer the question, has science proven that there is no God? Uh, that's frequently asked. A lot of people have asked me about that. Haven't we got past this, Pastor, that science has pretty much shown us that there is no need for God? Well, we tried to answer that uh, last week. If you missed it, you can check it out online next week monumental topic, topic of pain and suffering and evil. Uh, It gets asked a variety of ways. You know, how could a a good God allow uh, bad things to happen to good people? You know, 
Uh, why are we suffering if, if God is good? Why is there evil in the world? Listen to me, I promise you're going to want to be here next week. Uh, not because of what I'm going to say, but uh, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, the story that you're going to hear next week, it's worth 10,000 words. You need to invite your friends, invite your family, invite your neighbors, invite the dude at Quick Trip. You know, you talk about pain and suffering. If paying the gas pump, be like, hey, I got an answer for you, you know, for, for all this. That's not true. But, uh, but you're going to want to be here. I, I think God's really setting us up to, to hear something powerful. And uh, I just believe that, that lives are going to be changed through the, the whole uh, story that you're going to hear. This week, though, we're navigating another massive topic. We're trying to tackle the topic and the subject of hell. Uh, this frequently asked question comes again in a variety of forms. Uh, people ask, is hell real? Uh, if hell is real, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? Is Jesus the only way to avoid hell? If that's the case, how can God be good? What about people who have never heard about Jesus? Do they go to hell? I think the common thread within all those questions is that the idea of a loving God and an eternal hell just don't seem to go together. They seem at odds with one another. So that's what we're going to try and tackle today. Uh, Let me, though, just open us up with prayer, uh, since this is a very difficult topic. So let's pray. God, again, we're so thankful just for uh, the opportunity to come and gather in this place to to open up freely your word and hear what you would have to say. God, this is a a very difficult topic, um, one that raises a lot of emotion. And I just ask that you be in all things. Nobody came to hear from me. They came to hear from you. Uh, They want you to do what only you can do and speak to them. So I just ask you to send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. Uh, Help us see a subject maybe that we have never seen before in a way uh, that we've never seen before. Uh, and bring glory to your name. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if we're going to talk on the subject of hell, I think we should do it from the words of Jesus. I think if it was anybody else speaking on the doctrine, it would be impossible to take because of the gravity of the conversation. Especially if you're here today and you don't trust the Bible, uh, that's okay for now. I'm not asking you to consider the reality of hell because the Bible tells you to, although it does. I'm asking you to consider the reality of hell because Jesus tells you to. I can remember one time uh, in junior high coming home and hearing some gossip uh, about a friend from another friend and trying to tell my mom about the situation. My mom says, you know, son, consider the source. You know, uh, that's what I want us to do today. Consider the source. That's uh, what we need to do when we're looking at the words of Jesus. Jesus is, if nothing else, the most influential religious teacher in the history of the world. I mean, we're over 2,000 years removed from his presence on this planet, and they're still making movies about him and writing books about him and casting him in Simpsons episodes. Uh, We have hundreds of thousands of people gathered together right now as we speak, uh, worshiping this guy uh, named Jesus. And so we we should probably take uh, into account what he says. Uh, It's very typical for people to say, well, I respect Jesus. Yeah, I mean, there were 2,000 years removed. Everybody's still talking about the guy. I respect the teachings of Jesus. I just don't believe that God would allow anybody to go to hell. 
Okay, but Jesus talks about hell constantly, which means for the folks who say, well, I can't believe in a God uh, and of love and the doctrine of hell, well, Jesus could. <laughs> uh, Jesus can do the very thing that you're saying you can. My point is, since he has the position he has, which is most influential religious teacher of the, of the world, in the history of the world, Mert, you know, uh, that's on his LinkedIn profile, <laughs> most influential teacher for this, never mind. Uh, but that's all I'm wanting you to do, is just to at least consider what he has to say about the subject. Maybe we should at least listen. Maybe we can take a look. Uh, at the end of the day, please don't take my word for it. You know, if you disagree, great. Now, don't stand up and yell, I disagree. Uh, security will find that disagreeable they will escort you out. Uh, but, but please, study, study it for yourself. Let's have uh, the conversation. Uh, what, what matters is God's Word, you know, and not, not my words. So for our conversation today, let's look at uh, God's words, the teachings of Jesus. You should be in Luke chapter 16. We're going to pick it up in verse 19. Uh, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. If you have never feasted sumptuously, you need to feast sumptuously at least once in your life. Uh, shameless plug, we have our October fall fried food bonanza here at the church where we feast sumptuously in the park, so uh, there's that. But Uh, This man feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. In other words, even the dogs cared more about Lazarus' comfort than the rich man did. Even they were more concerned about comforting uh, this man's sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Uh, Picture Jason Bourne. He's in the hotel across the street or up on the rooftop. He looks across. He sees Nikki standing next to Pamela Landy. He calls Pamela and says, hey, send Nikki to the train station. Right, you with me? And she's like, what if I can't find her? And he's like, she's standing right next to you. You're like, boom, what? That's exactly what's happening here with Lazarus and Abraham. Uh, But Abraham said, child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass away from here to you <coughs> excuse me, may not be able and none may cross there from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Did you ever wonder why he asked to have Lazarus be sent? He's in torment. He's in anguish. How come he didn't say, Hey, send me. I need to go warn my brothers. You know, he must have been a gem of a human being if even he's like, 
no, you can't send me. My brothers aren't going to believe me. I, you know, I've made stuff up to them all the time. Uh, you got to send somebody else. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do in your Bible or there in your notes, that word, repent. We're going to come back to that. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Here's my entire message in one sentence. And the reason I wanted to talk about this subject today, you will not fight against what you believe is fake. That's what's at stake for us today, that the fact that you will not fight what you believe is fake. Uh, the most recent statistic I found is that of Americans, 59% do not believe that hell is real. So for the first time probably in our country's history, the vast majority of people believe hell is fake versus uh, real. Uh, now, that statistic, 59%, can be a bit misleading because that includes all of America, you know, even the crazies on the West Coast. So uh, maybe we need to re-evaluate you know, evaluate this statistic, ask ourselves, well, how many Christians, Pastor, you know, you take California and Seattle out of the equation. How many real people believe, that was a joke, uh, <laughs> 0 for 2, uh, how many people really believe that uh, hell is real. Well, of evangelical Christians. Of evangelical Christians, 80% believe that it's real. Uh, so there's still 20% of the folks who don't believe the subject uh, or the doctrine, which means of the roughly 250 people we'll see come through our doors on a Sunday, 50 of them will not believe that hell is real, which is slightly alarming because our entire faith hinges on the, pack, on the fact that it is real. You know, if it wasn't real, what is Jesus saving us from? Uh, so Jesus clearly teaches that when you die, everyone is going to live somewhere. People never go out of existence. They just change locations. Uh, God's plan for eternity is the ultimate point of life. And so you're either going to live in God's presence or you're going to live in God's absence. Uh, that's really what hell is, the absence of God. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Which means the eternal life is not necessarily about the quantity of time. It's about the quality of knowing God. Although hell is eternal, heaven is eternal, there's always something new to discover about God because He's eternal, which is why that's the beauty of eternal life, to continually get to find out something new about the God of the universe. But we take this word hell and we use it so many ways that it's pretty well lost its original meaning. You know, if someone is confused, they might ask the question, what the... Yeah, hell, you know, if the situation is particularly bad, uh, you would say that it was hellish. Or if there was an outbreak of violence, you might say that all hell broke loose. Uh, if you happen to ride in a vehicle with my wife, you might describe the experience as hell on wheels. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, uh, she's not in here right now, so I could, don't, don't tell anybody I said that, but and I said, I said in first service how, you know, she just uses that as her ministry. Uh, people come in an atheist, they leave praising Jesus, you know, like, thank God we are still alive. But, uh, 
Hell is even used to describe uh, things that are positive. If a great time is had, some might say we had a hell of a good time. You've heard it. Uh, the last time I spoke on the subject uh, of hell, we, we did a series a few years ago called What Happens to You When You Die. A gentleman came up to me after the service and said, that was a hell of a good message, Pastor, uh, which I found funny, but no, nobody else did, apparently. Uh, I, of course, find this idea very ironic, be, uh, ironic because hell is one of the most commonly used words in the English language, but it's also one of the least talked about. Just about everywhere you go, you hear people use the word as an interjection, an adjective, or a noun, but few people, very pe- few people, will actually refer to it as an eternal destination. In fairness, people don't really even want to talk about death anymore. We often are afraid to use that word. We're so uncomfortable with it, the D word, that we've got all these other phrases that we'll use instead, like a person has passed away, uh, they've passed on, they're no longer with us, you know, sort of the clinical expression, they've expired. Uh, life insurance salesmen do not like to admit it in their sales pitch. They say, if something should happen to you, uh, then your family is going to be taken care of. It's like, what do you mean, if? You know, aren't we talking about when? Like, like when something happens, the whole point of me being here is that when this happens, I want to make sure. Uh, but we're so uncomfortable with it that we mask our discomfort with using uh, things like they kicked the bucket, uh, they reached room temperature, they bit the dust, they cashed in their chips. Um, you can tell me some more after service. But th- these very terms point to the fact that man is basically afraid of death. It baffles him. It, it bothers him. It frightens him. Why? Because of the fear of the unknown. You know, we, we're not sure what's going to happen. We're all moving towards that end, though. Uh, you're now a few minutes closer than when you walked in uh, this morning. Uh, In the dome of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., it says these words, one God, I'm not sure how long that's going to stay up there, but it says it right now, one God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event to which all creation moves. Even the founding fathers couldn't use the word death. They described it as this divine event. We don't like it because we don't know what to expect, but it doesn't have to be that way. I'm amazed at how many people hang on the words of, of folks who say that they've, uh, they've died, but they've uh, you know, supposedly left the body and come back again. Yet people reject wholesale the very words of Jesus, the living God, who has been there, done that, and returned to tell us exactly what we can expect. And what he says about hell is we need to rally against it because it is real. Uh, but that's my point. You won't fight against what you believe is fake. Now, there's a couple of questions that people like to raise that I'd like to address specifically from this passage. People often ask, uh, well, pastor, what about all the people uh, who are tortured in hell? You know, they wrongly believe that God tortures people in hell. I want you to know that the Bible never describes hell as torture. I don't believe that God tortures anybody in hell. What does it say? Well, you can see it there in verses 23 and 24. It's not torment, or it's not torture, it's torment. It's anguish. What is the difference? Torture is inflicted. It's not chosen. See, I think there's this faulty assumption, you know, lingering underneath that question that everybody wants to go to heaven. That's not true. Some people can't stand the idea of God. Some people hate the idea of Jesus being their Savior. What do I need to be saved from? 
I'm basically a good person. So listen, if they don't want Jesus now, why would God force them to live in his presence for eternity? You might jot this down. God won't send anyone to hell any sooner than he'll drag someone to heaven. That's what you need to realize today. God is not, you know, earth's nurse nurse ratchet, just trying to get everybody to do whatever it is he wants. He's not going to send anybody there sooner than he'll drag somebody to heaven. In verse 25, Abraham tells the rich man, you had your good things. You know, you, you chose your heaven. You just chose to have it here on earth. The man's like, well, it wasn't worth it. And he says, I need to go tell my brothers that the cost to benefit ratio is not good. They need to know that they need to make a better decision than what I did. And Abraham says, oh, they've been told. Everyone is told. Paul says the same thing in Romans 1. That's why it can't be called torture, because torture is not inflicted onto anyone unknowingly. Uh, they, They are choosing it. I like how C.S. Lewis says it. He writes, In the end, uh, there are two types of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, Thy will be done. In other words, if earth's happiness uh, is all you're wanting, and the riches and the fame and the glory and the power and all of those things, if that's really what you think is going to make you happy, God says, go for it. Chase after those things. See where it leads. God's not going to send anyone to hell who doesn't deserve to be there. Well, that's pretty harsh, pastor. Maybe, but let's ask ourselves an important question. Why does the rich man go to hell? Now, I don't presume to know why people will be in hell and who's going to be in hell and who's not going to be. But what I am saying is Jesus tells us in this passage specifically why this rich man is in hell. Why? Is it because he doesn't believe in Jesus? Is it because he's rich? Is it because he didn't take care of Lazarus? You know, perhaps it's because of how he got rich. He got rich because of ill-gotten gain. He laundered money. You know, he poisoned his wife and took the, the life insurance. Uh, he, he works at the IRS. Uh, we don't, again, there's a joke. Okay, if, if you work at the IRS, IRS, I apologize. There's, you know, a lot of good people down there. Over there, not down. That would be confusing. <laughs> Over there. Uh, but so why, uh, why did the rich man go to hell? Here's the reason. The rich man has nothing but the designation rich man. He's not named, but Lazarus is named. Uh, if you're curious, Lazarus means God is my help or God is my salvation. What does that have to do with going to hell? Well, what I think Jesus is teaching here is that what sends you to hell is not about being rich or being poor or even what you do with your money. It's not about uh, necessarily the the outward sins that you commit, uh, although they can. Uh, it's not about like violence or stealing money or insider training or, or any of that. Uh, what sends you to hell, pay attention, is to make anything but God your help to sit down and rest content on anything but God as your salvation. The reason the rich man doesn't have a name is because all he was was a rich man. If you make riches your help, if you make riches your point, if you make riches your salvation, if you make riches your God, if you make riches your identity, then that's all you are. 
you don't have a name. Uh, when you take away the riches, you're left with nothing. That's why I also believe the Bible teaches that, that God says the, the uh, ultimate competition, the chief competition to your heart is money. Uh, that, that's his biggest uh, competition in life today. People trust their riches more than they trust in God. Uh, I was watching uh, 60 Minutes the other night because I'm old, you know, I guess. That's what old people do. That's what I'm told. Uh, so I was watching it, but they had this story about uh, the gymnastics uh, team. Uh, you, you maybe have seen it, the literal hell that these ha- girls had to go through with the team doctor and, um, and, and everything uh, along with that. But at the end of the program, after they described everything, they, as if to say, don't worry, uh, Michigan State has settled with these girls for the sum of $500 million. Um, as, you know, in, in my mind, I was thinking, well, but wait, what does that solve? You know, money doesn't bring back what these girls lost. But that's culture's answer for just about everything, isn't it? You've got to get the prenup, got to get the alimony. You've got to, you know, sue them for uh, the money because, uh, you know, riches make everything right. That's often what we're taught. But here's what I want you to, to write down, coming back to this idea of what sends you to hell. Well, hell is not for naughty people. It's for nameless people. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Uh, The rich man didn't have a name. That's why he's there. The Bible repeatedly refers to this this thing called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that there's there's names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's for the people who have repented of their sins. The prophet Isaiah says that God knows everyone by name. Uh, Jeremiah talks about how before you were born, God knew you. The New Testament refers to Jesus as a shepherd and that he knows his sheep like any good shepherd would by name. I could have said it this way. Heaven isn't for nice people. It's for named people. Uh, That's what I think is important. That's why I had you underline that word repent. You can't miss that. Uh, the, The rich man knew exactly why he was in hell. He never repented. He trusted his money instead of his Savior. Uh, look at it. He's the one who brings up repentance to begin with. He's the one that says, no, 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 you've got to send someone to my brothers so that they'll repent. He knew why he was there. Uh, at the end of your life, only one thing will matter. Did you trust Jesus enough for repentance? Do you trust Jesus through repenting? And one of the most terrifying scriptures uh, in the Bible, I believe, is Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus says that on that day, many will, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not you know, do miracles in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because I never knew you. You weren't named. That's why hell's not for naughty people. It's for nameless people. It's for unrepentant people. Here's what else I want you to remember. Remember, people were made for God. Hell was made for the devil. You need to see that, that that you, the purpose of your life, the reason you exist, you were made for God. Hell was made for the devil. Watch this, Matthew 25. Then the king, Jesus, King Jesus, He will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for who? Help me out. Who was it prepared for? The devil devil 
and his demons. Hell was never prepared for you. Hell was never intended for you. People ask, how could a good God send anyone to hell? Listen to me. He doesn't want to. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't slow to keep his promise, as some think of slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to change their hearts and lives. That's what that word repent means. It means to turn. It means to change your heart. It means to change your life. You know, furthermore, because hell wasn't prepared for you, I also don't believe that the punishment in hell is the same for anyone. Now, certainly, listen to me, it's eternal. Like, you're not getting out. Uh, But the Bible repeatedly, well, a couple places, Jesus says this in Matthew 10 and Matthew 11, that he says, it will be more bearable on that day uh, for those than it was for, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. He's comparing them. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, Sodom and Gomorrah are two wicked towns in the Old Testament. God judges them for their wickedness. And Jesus shows up and he he uses them as a case study to, to say that hell won't be as bad for them, for Sodom and Gomorrah, as it was or as it is for for these other people. Uh, so it, it seems like there's a little bit of a a system on how hell will work. We know that there's the same system in heaven. We know that there's different rewards uh, for people in heaven. In other scripture, Jesus talks about greater commandments and greater judgments uh, and the fact that to whom much is given, much is required. And there's the whole parable of the talents thing. And uh, Jesus says that me as a, as a pastor, I'm going to be judged twice as harsh because I'm communicating his words to the people. So I just believe that if that's true in heaven, the opposite is probably true as well. Uh, but again, my point is it was never intended for you, uh, you know, system or not. It was prepared for the devil because the devil was in God's presence and he chose to rebel. He said that, no, I'm, I'm just as, as cool as God. I, I, you know, and he convinced, uh, the Bible says, a third of the angels to follow with him. The reason I bring that up, because you two right now are living in God's presence. And God is, is a living God, and he's in this world. There's just a little bit of a problem, though. There's sin separating you from the presence of God. That's why the God says that you know, eternal life is to know him that you, you can't know somebody without being in their presence. And so, so somehow we've got to, to rectify this, 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 this void, this gap between us and God. I'll tell you exactly how to do that in a second. But last point, in verse 30, we read the rich man is imploring Abraham. Brought this up already. Send somebody, please, to my five brothers. Uh, they need to know about the reality of hell. And honest Abe says, well, no, nah, not even if, if somebody raises from the dead will your brothers believe. Why did Jesus make it a point to, to bring this, this up. This sounds kind of weird. Resurrection. Even if somebody raises from the dead, they're not going to be. Why is that important? The reason it's important is because Jesus is telling this people, or telling this story to people who would eventually see him raise from the dead. And Scripture tells us that even some of those people did not believe that Jesus was God. Despite the fact that they witnessed him murdered, you know, smothered to death and choke on his own blood and then be buried. And it's like, no, my, you know, my cousin did that last week. I've, I've seen somebody raised from the dead. They don't believe. Uh, it's, it's absurd. What's it mean for us today? I already said it. Christ's sacrifice is meaningless unless hell 
exists. If hell isn't real, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? Go buy a boat. Y'all been in a boat before? Boats are awesome. Wakeboarding is, is incredible. Don't show up to church on a Sunday. Go find something. Sleep in. You know, like don't, certainly do not get involved in the story that God is trying to tell. Do not bring your friends to church and then have to explain to them why the pastor yelled so much. You know, like that's never going to be a fun lunch conversation. Uh, Go get some wings. Go watch football. Why? This is a horrible hobby if this is all it is for you. Terrible. Find something better. I'll give you a list of things you can do. Uh, really, if, if hell is not real, then God is ruining our lives. So listen to me. Jesus didn't come to this earth to ruin your life. He came to save it. That's what's separating you, this whole you know, idea of sin. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to get rid of that for you. Every other world religion teaches, no, here's what you do in order to get close to God. And Christianity comes along and says, no, 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 God came to you to save you so that you could be in the presence of God forever. Uh, Don't ever let somebody tell you that all religions are the same. No, it hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't do what he said he did and what eyewitnesses record for us in Scripture, then, uh, you know, it's all for naught. Uh, But Jesus said, no, I'm going to take that sin that that you've committed and and I'm going to put it on my shoulders so that you can be made new and so that you can live in the presence of God. So I close up shop this morning, try and land the plane for you. I want to put you in a scenario. I want you to suppose that you are incredibly sick and you call the doctor. And so the doctor said, yeah, come on and see me. you got an appointment uh, available this afternoon. And so uh, you go into the office. He gives you a checkup. He says, I've looked you over. Here's your problem. You need to go down to the pharmacy. You need to have this prescription filled. If you'll take this prescription, you're going to notice some immediate results. And over the course of two to three days, these antibiotics are going to help you. And so you say, well, thanks a lot, Doc. I know I could count on you. And as you walk out of the office, you take that prescription and you crumble it up and you throw it in the trash can and ignore it. And two weeks later, you're sicker than a dog. This time you crawl in and you ask the doctor, how could you do this to me? And the doctor says, do, do what do you mean? How could I do what to you? And you say, Doc, I'm sicker than a dog. I feel horrible. I think I'm going to die. The doctor says, wait, didn't I, I mean, I've had a lot of patients, but I didn't see you, didn't I see you earlier? Didn't I give you a prescription uh, to get filled? And you say, yeah, you gave me a prescription. Did you have it filled? Well, no, but this is still your fault. The doctor's going to say, how is this my fault? I told you what to do. You didn't act. This is your own fault. God has given you the prescription. It's why he brought you to church today. You're not here by accident. God's either trying to remind you of this reality or convince you of the reality, but in either case, you have your answer. And if you say, well, maybe later, I'll get around to it. It's not that big of a deal yet. 
if that's you, the consequences are not God's fault. You cannot blame God. You cannot shake your fist at Him and say, what are you doing? If you say, but pastor, what about all those people in the past? What about my friends, my family who didn't repent? In that moment, have you not revealed that you love them more than you love God? What kind of coward would I be if I stood up here and told you that this wasn't a reality? I don't want anybody to go to hell. I pray every night for my kids, my friends, my family, the people that are going to come through these doors. Say, God, do what only you can do. I'll give them the prescription, but you've got to help them fill it. That's what's happening right now in this moment. There's not one thing that you've done that God can't forgive. But listen to me. There's none of us who are so good that we don't need to be forgiven. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The whole point of Jesus coming to this earth is to rescue you. The whole point of us singing songs is to worship Jesus. Jesus wants to be in your life. He wants to make you new. You know, all those things that you're chasing after to try and find happiness, Jesus wants to take those from you. He knows that that only leads to death. He, he wants you to find him. So if you're here this morning, I want to pray for you specifically if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You can just say in your heart, follow along with me in this prayer. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've chased after these things to try and find happiness. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. God, thank you for new life. Thank you for the patience that you have with us. God, as we continue to live our lives and do things that you haven't asked us to do, God, uh, thank you for saying, no, you can still run to me. I still love you. Thank you for your grace new and your mercies new every morning. God, for everybody here, believers and otherwise, I just ask you just to encourage them, speak them, send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. Help them realize that because of this reality of, of hell that their lives should look different. Help them live for you. Give, give them the power that only you have available. If you prayed that prayer of salvation this morning, I'd encourage you to either mark that on that connection card. There's some information we want to send you or, or please come find me back at Connection Corner at the end of the service. I want to speak to you. But God, thank you again for new life. Resurrect our souls in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.